guys, this is today's episode of the Scripture Study Project, our podcast where we hope to give you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I am Krista, and I am here with my husband, Zach. Which, speaking of fresh, the the dedication of our episode today goes to La Croix drinks, which are mineral, flavored mineral water that are surprisingly refreshing. Wow, way to take that spin off of things there. And I do have to say, you kind of said that with a German accent. I think it's supposed I to be a French accent. I think accent. it's French. <laughs> but they did drink a lot of mineral water sparkling in water yeah. in Germany, and I did not like it there. This is a newly acquired taste for me. I know a lot of people... Are do, I, it's kind of trendy right now, I think, yeah, too. Yeah. But I have to say they that are I'm kind of good. If you're looking for a no sugar drink that kind of tastes like Sprite or Fresca, but doesn't taste like Sprite or Fresca. Yeah, it hasn't. You're right. It is very fresh. And you want to feel kind of cool drinking a cool drink? Then there you go. A cool bubbly. Not, I just like it because my kids. We get no kids... kickback from this. <laughs> Because like, our kids won't drink it. My kids, I've let them try it, and they're like, Ooh, yeah, you can have yeah. that. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, well, there so you go. There you go. That Fresh, is... and I don't know if I like where you tried faith, that in. Faith, Way to go, Zach. There we go. Okay. Hey, this is John 13 through 17, and there's a lot in these chapters. We want to start with our doctrinal study. Uh, last week, we did part one of the plan of salvation. And this week we want to follow it up with a part two. Um, I wanted to start with this verse. This is John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, Last week, if you listen, and if you haven't, you can go back and listen to it. uh, What we explained or taught about the plan of salvation was that quite often, when we explain the plan of salvation, we use either the diagram, you know, the circles and the lines and the arrows, uh, or we have some elaborate explanation, when in reality, the plan of salvation is really simple. Um, The lines and the arrows is the map of where we've been and where we are and where we're going. But God's plan for our salvation is actually surprisingly simple. And all it is, is his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. The plan of salvation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would create a world. Jesus Christ would go down to that world and teach and then atone for and then resurrect for his brothers and sisters. Um, and then Jesus Christ would come again to that world to, to, in essence, resurrect the world, usher in the millennium and prepare people for entrance into the kingdom of God. That's the plan. Jesus Christ is the plan. He's the one that's going to make it happen. So that was last week. This week, one of the things I hear misstated quite often about the plan, and and I get it, I get where it comes from, but it goes something like this. In the pre-mortal existence, uh, God asked for a plan. Jesus Christ came forward with his plan, and Lucifer came forward with his plan. The big difference between the two plans was that Lucifer's plan did not allow for any agency. He would force people to make the right choices and return to God without ever choosing. That wasn't a good plan. God didn't like it. And so God cast Lucifer out, chose Jesus' plan instead. And that's why we have the division. 
Now, I'm exaggerating that probably a little bit or oversimplifying that view, but you've probably heard bits and pieces of that before. The only problem is that's not held up anywhere in Scripture, at least not the way that I've explained it. If you go to the uh, Moses, I think Moses chapter 4, it gives a pretty detailed description of that pre-mortal existence. Isaiah 11 is another place where you can find that. And in those chapters, and in a couple of others like them, uh, some you, you understand this pre-mortal counsel about the plan a little bit better. First of all, there were never two plans. There's always, only, ever been one plan. It is Heavenly Father's plan for the salvation of His children. And the plan, as Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, and I think in Moses 4, one of those beginning verses, is that Jesus Christ was the chosen from the beginning, is the phrase used in Moses. He was the chosen from the beginning. In other words, the plan was always that Jesus would go to the earth. Lucifer didn't propose an alternate plan. Lucifer rebelled against God's plan out of jealousy, out of rage, and out of pride. He wanted to, this is in Isaiah 11, he wanted to ascend to God's throne, become like God, but he didn't want to follow the plan. He didn't want to go through Jesus Christ. Um, his destruction of agency isn't because he proposed an alternate plan where agency wasn't allowed. Um, it's that he wanted to destroy man's ability to choose to follow Jesus Christ. He wanted to force men and women to follow him. He knows that there's no way they can follow him to the celestial kingdom, but because he has rejected the plan, the only way he can achieve any quote-unquote glory is by forcing people to follow him. And so he doesn't destroy agency by proposing a different plan. He destroys agency by trying to force people or trick people into sacrificing their agency by making incorrect choices that limit their agency the more wicked choices they make. Now, whether or not that's important to know about Lucifer, I think it is really important to know about the Savior. To know that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't just some last-minute thought. He is that plan of salvation, and that there's no other way to get to the Father but through him. When he makes that statement in John, he's not bragging. He is teaching the plan of salvation. I am the way. I am the plan, and no one can make it but through me. I think sometimes we might use that as kind of putting it into our own box or language of what that that encounter might have been. And so mm -hmm. maybe that's kind of why we start to tell it in that, that way. But I think it's really helpful to to understand it in the way that you, you explained it. I really I really think that can point our the story or the way we envision it back to, like you said, the Savior and back to really that he is the plan yeah. like we emphasized last time too i think it's helpful to understand there's no plan b you know i i hear people talk a lot about well if jesus wouldn't have come then there is no then if jesus wouldn't have fulfilled his part of the plan there the plan would have been foiled there would have been no plan there wasn't a backup plan there wasn't an alternate plan there wasn't anything else that could have been done. This is the plan of salvation. And that's why it's more powerful when you read that verse that mm -hmm. he says, I really am the way. It's not him, like you said, it's not him boasting of anything. It's him saying, no, I'm here to fulfill what my father had me, wanted me to do. And we're going to see that as we, you know, see the mission that he accomplishes in this next week as we go through this last week of his life. Yeah, that's great. 
So with that introduction, let's dive in. John 13 through 17. There's a word that shows up 34 times in these five chapters. It's not a surprising word. I wonder if they know what it is. Can they guess? guess? Pause now. See if you can guess. <laughs> Um, and I'll read it. You will hear it in this verse because it shows up multiple times in this one verse. In fact, if you're familiar with what chiasmus is, it's that that uh, form of ancient writing, uh, form of poetry, where they would repeat an idea at the beginning of a phrase or sometimes a whole chapter, in this case, just a verse. They'd repeat a phrase at the beginning of a verse and at the end of a verse. And then if they had a second idea, it would be repeated second from the beginning and second from the end so that the most important idea was right in the middle. Well, this verse is, is a chiasmus. This is John 13, 34. You'll hear the word repeated a couple of times. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Now there's the chiasmus. The commandment is in there, love one another. That appears twice. It's the beginning and it's at the end. But Jesus puts this interesting introduction where he says a new commandment. The commandment to love others has been around since the Old Testament. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of, well, it is the oldest law um, in human history, that you love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. So loving others isn't a new commandment. The new commandment is what happens right in the middle of that verse, or what Jesus states in the middle of that verse. And it is, you are now to love one another as I have loved you. This is a new kind of love. It's a higher and a holier kind of love. And so what we want to do is, in these five chapters where love is the name of the game, we want to study how Jesus Christ loves. What does he teach about love? How does he exemplify love? so that we can keep this new commandment. In other words, we're going to look at his example and then ask ourselves the questions of how we can follow that example and love others the way that Jesus Christ loves us. I think it's fitting, you know, as we're talking about who the Savior is and that he is the central figure of this plan because here he goes preparing for what he knows lies ahead. And we read that in the beginning verses of chapter 13. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so here we are getting to study these chapters where we see him exemplifying, like you said, exemplifying and teaching this love. And he begins that with um, this story of him washing his disciples' feet, which I think is really fitting as we look at this question of how does Jesus love and what does it teach us? Um, he's washing his disciples' feet. He's giving this very humble act of service um, to the people that he loves and to the people that usually follow him. And here he is as their leader, washing their feet and letting them know why he's doing that too. Um, he, he teaches them in verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought 
to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. Um, I think we know this to be true because we get to see this example of Jesus Christ. We see him serving, and that is the way he loves his people. That's the way he loves us. Um, and, you know, we read some of, I know that some of my favorite books on leadership talk about this type of service where the leader, a true leader is someone who is with his people, is doing the work, is, you know, so to say, washing the feet of the people that they serve with or that they lead. And I think that this is a true way of, of showing love to those around us is through service. It's interesting. I've, I've read a lot of leadership books over the past couple of years, and uh, servant leadership is a type of leadership that comes up. Uh, it's often one among many different styles of leadership, as if you can pick or choose different styles. Um, and it's often not the most popular one. Um, a lot of the more charismatic forms of leadership are ones that are touted a little bit more. The kinds of leadership where the leader is very visible, where she's very present, where she's acknowledged, where she's um, those types of leadership um, are, are I don't know, like explained or, or um, heightened a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because I think this, this connection between love and leadership in the eyes of the world compared to love and leadership in the eyes of the Savior is really fascinating to me. Um, it's, I, I've, I've had this discussion with a lot of people about how love, the way that the world describes it, is, is very uh, reactive and it's very visible. In other words, um, I love you because you're so beautiful and because you're so kind and because you're so funny, right? That's when we talk about love, that's how we use it. I love even things like I love the movie because the movie was this or I love this house because the house is this. And when we talk about other people, it's the same thing. I love her because she's, or she's just so, or he's just so, and that's why I love him, or that's why I love her. And then when we when we display that love, it's very visible. It's flowers and gifts and presents and acknowledgement and words of affirmation, and none of which is bad. Or just that's the way that our general society, right. that's the way that we have come to define it. And it's not bad, but it is different from what the Savior's teaching. Here he's teaching that love is not reactive, it's proactive. Meaning, I don't love you because of who you are. I love you because of who I am. I want to serve you. And the more I serve you, the more I love you. And the more I love you, the more that I serve you, the more that I want to care for you and put your needs in front of mine. That often leads to a kind of leadership or, or a kind of expression of love, both cases, that isn't as visible. It's a lot more invisible. It's behind the scenes. That's the kind of service or the kind of love that isn't often recognized or doesn't seek for praise or acknowledgement, um, but is quiet, humble, just as the Savior here is quietly and humbly washing the feet of his apostles. Yeah, I think that's why I like that That as he teaches of love in these chapters this is the beginning of it yeah i think that's really beautiful the phrase that stood out to me this read through in fact it was just a couple of days ago that it really popped is the very well-known verse in john 14 verse 15 where the savior says if you love me keep my commandments 
Now, I've always kind of breezed by that one. It's an old scripture mastery verse, and it was the quickest and the fastest and the easiest to remember. And and so uh, I often just kind of scan that one as I'm reading John 14. But I was listening to a stake president uh, just this last week teach something really unique about this. And um, it, it I don't know, kind of blew my mind. Uh, his explanation, I'm paraphrasing horribly, but uh, but his idea is, or was this, of course we love Jesus Christ because he's our savior. We love him, um, and because we love him, we call out to him when we're in need. Um, when we're in danger, he helps us. When we're hurting, he heals us. Um, however, Jesus Christ is more than just a savior. He is a king. He's a teacher. He's a brother. He's a father. And we should love him and use those relationships as much as we do his relationship as savior. And so what that means is because he's my savior, when I'm in need, when I need saving, I'm going to call out to him. But because he's my king, I'm also going to use that relationship or I'm going to rely on that relationship for laws and rules and commandments. Because he's my teacher, I'm going to rely on that relationship for teachings and for doctrines and for principles. Because he's my brother, I'm going to rely on that relationship for example and for companionship. Because he's the father of my salvation, I'm going to rely on that relationship for guidance and for correction. And it's in all of these different ways that we can truly expand our relationship with the Savior. So in verse 15, when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's not saying, though he could, if you love me, call out to me when you need saving. He could say that, and in other places that doctrine is taught. But here he's emphasizing that relationship as more than a Savior. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, this idea is really actually pretty prevalent. I was I, Once I spotted that, I couldn't help but see it everywhere. At the end of John 14, this is verse 31, the Savior explains, I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. So, if you love me, keep my commandments. And just to show you an example, because I love the Father, I keep the Father's commandments. Then in chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, oh, sorry, wrong verse, uh, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then verse 14, perhaps my favorite, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. I love the idea of Jesus as more than Savior. Can I expand my relationship with him um, and illustrate, uh, proclaim, express my love by obedience. And so as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking of, well, there's there's a lot of application for my life, both my, my love and relationship with the Savior. If I love him, I'll keep his commandments. But it also makes me wonder about my relationship with others that I love. Do I try and narrow them down to just one relationship or can I expand it? If I love my wife, if I love you, um, can I, it sounds weird to say, can I keep your commandments? But can I view you as, can I view you in all these different relationships besides just my wife? Can I, can I listen to you? Can I, um, can I rely on you for teaching and for help and for strength? And, and can I be that for you? And 
it just started expanding my mind of what love and relationship could be. And I love the idea that Jesus Christ is our King in addition to being our Savior. Right after he talks about this love being this commandment, he ends with one of my favorite verses. This is verse 25, chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, I'm reading in a different version of the Bible, but the words in the King James Version I like even more, I think. But the Comforter, or the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Um, I've always loved this verse, and I think I liked it even more this time as I studied. Just thinking about... Um, these feelings that his apostles were having as he was telling them that he was to leave. They were getting scared. They were getting worried. And and that's probably understating really how they felt. Mm-hmm. But I I just like to think about them him saying, It's gonna be okay. I am going to give you a gift that is going to essentially replace me. You're gonna be okay because you are going to have the Holy Spirit with you, this comforter, this counselor, and all of these perfectly beautiful words that we have in the scriptures to explain what what the Holy Ghost does for us. Um, and I love that he is giving us um, essentially this gift that's going to help, um, help teach him. And he's giving, I wrote in my scriptures after that, although it doesn't say love in in those verses, this is what he is sending to remind us of his love, to constantly hmm. be allowing us to feel his love. Um, and, you know, it's verse 27 that he says, this is my peace. I am going to give you this peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Again, to me, just emphasizing, I mean, let's let's just think of all of these wonderful teachings that we have of what the spirit feels like the fruits of the spirit these inner feelings that we i mean some of those verses from the book of mormon teaching about how how the spirit really feels and how it pierces our heart in in these wonderful ways and i think that is love christ is giving us the spirit that we that we are allowed to have with us this peace and this joy and this comfort that come only through the Holy Spirit that only that the world can't give. The world can't compare to this love. Oh. Well, I was going to ask. So, so the question then is, if that's how Jesus loved us, he loved us or he loved his disciples there enough to give them this this Holy Ghost, the gift of this go- the Holy Ghost mm-hmm. and the peace that comes with it. What do we learn from that about how we can or how we should love others? How do we love others the way that he loved right. us? Right, and that that was kind of where I was like, I hope I'm not getting too floaty on this. I don't mm-hmm. think I am. But I had to think a little bit harder about that because I did, you know, we, we brought up exactly that question of we want to know how the Savior loves, but how can we follow his example? Um, and really the only thing that I think I came to was just of inviting the spirit to be in situations that we're in um praying to be the spirit and maybe just helping other other people feel 
that love of God and that um, that spirit, hmm. helping them learn to communicate with the Holy Ghost and well, maybe even helping them feel the peace that the spirit brings. Yeah. And it's, I know that's a hard thing to do. It I, is, but it, but it's interesting to think, um, you know, if you're if you're looking pick a relationship with a with a sibling or with a parent or a child or a, a neighbor or someone that you want to uh, improve and maybe introduce more love into that relationship, it's a really good question to ask. How can I help this person either? experience the spirit more in their life or feel more peace in their life or hopefully potentially both and that then brings some really practical ideas if i'm thinking of my kids I, if i really love my son which of course i do how can i help him feel more peace in his life and uh and one of the thoughts that came to my mind is well it may not be the easiest thing it's not just the removal of conflict how can I help him do things in his life that invites the Spirit so that he can have continual peace, even when, as Jesus says in this chapter, I'm giving you the comforter, and he'll say later on, you're going to suffer the same things that I'm going to suffer. And so I'm giving you this comforter so that even when things are really, really rough, you're still going to feel love and feel peace. So how can I help someone else have that Spirit in their life so that even when things get rough, they can feel that same kind of peace? And that different answers for for every person but that could bring some really practical things that we could do to help other people good questions to ask yourself mm -hmm. and i in fact i i think in verse 15 we um here's jesus is talking again about these vines and branches and so he says in verse chapter 15 verse 5 i am the vine you are the branches the one who remains in me and i in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And so we look at this, and I, I, I just happen to see these words. They're kind of lined up in this, these scriptures that I have. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit. So he says remains. The one who remains with me. And then in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And so I think that's kind of maybe the key here is that as we um, remind ourselves of, of his love, it allows us to more easily spread his love through, through the spirit, mm -hmm. through his spirit that he has left with us. Those are really powerful verses, especially considering at the end of 14, um, the last sentence at the end of 14, arise, let us go hence indicates that chapters, while chapters 13 and 14 may have been in the upper room, last supper, washing the feet, etc. Chapters 15, 16, and 17, the great intercessory prayer in 17, this discussion about the vine and the fruit mm -hmm. happens either on the way to Gethsemane or in Gethsemane itself. So he's talking about love and being, being connected to the vine and bringing forth fruit and then praying for his disciples in the very place where he's going to perform the ultimate act of love. Mm. And, uh, and what a, I don't know, there's not a better object lesson possible for what love is or should be. And maybe the message to his disciples is, look at what I'm going to do here for the world. You now need to go and do that for, for others. Look at what I'm going to be doing. And I like that idea of when we're talking about the spirit, if we're remaining in him, what are our fruits going to be? 
Well, the fruits of the Spirit are all of those. I'm not looking at Galatians, but we know what they are. They're these exact things that Jesus is promising us. Because he says again, um, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It's these fruits of the Spirit that if we remain in him, as he says, that we will have the fruits of the Spirit. So we're more readily available to serve and to love those and to show this love to those around us through service, through helping people feel the spirit more. Um, and what was the other one we talked about? Through commandments, commandments and, and yeah. doing what he says. Because if we aren't remaining in him, then we won't be able to spread that love. Yeah. Well, those are just a couple of answers to that overarching question. You're going to find many more in your personal study of what did the Savior do to love us and how can I love the people in my life the way that he loved me but thank you so much for studying with us thank you for uh, your your connection to us thanks for for following along on Instagram for messaging us when you have ideas and thoughts and and uh, and insights of your own we love hearing it uh, if there's anyone that you think of that could use this study And if there's anything that this podcast might help for them, please pass it along and share it. Um, And we will see you next episode.